0: You're listening to This is Yoga Therapy. I'm your host, Michelle Lawrence, and I've had the opportunity to interview many of those who are making a difference at the intersections of yoga and health, and I'm here to share with you their stories and conversations. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, I interviewed Brian Hyman. Brian is an accomplished and certified yoga instructor, meditation guide, dharma teacher, Author and father. He's also an addiction recovery activist. He's been clean and sober since 2009 and has been teaching yoga and meditation at Cliffside Malibu, a prominent treatment center in California, since 2012. His dedicated work in the field of addiction treatment and recovery combines yogic philosophy, Buddhist wisdom, 12 step principles, and timeless insights from various spiritual traditions. And his first book, Recovery with Yoga, Supportive Practices to Transcend Addiction, will be released in 2024. During the podcast, we spoke about his story and how we can work together to save lives and destigmatize addiction. It's such a pleasure to meet you, Brian, and thanks for being here on the podcast today. You
1: too, Michelle. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'd love for you to share your story a little bit, and I know it probably could be a really long story, or maybe not, but... Tell us the story that led to your moment of clarity and freedom from addiction, if you can give us a synopsis of that a bit, because I think it's really an important part of who you are today, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great place to start. And like you said, it could be the short version or the long version. Short version would be something like, my life was miserable, I got sober, and then my life became incredible.
0: (laughs) Well, tell us a little more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not the longest, but a medium-sized story would be in 2009, my mother passed away. It really was a moment of awakening for me. I had a chance to be with her near the end of her life, and it really woke me up to the fragility of life. The the We all know that this is where we're headed. No, We're not going to be alive forever. But to actually have someone you care about deeply pass away, it really made me look at my life and how I was living my life. And at the time, I was drinking quite a bit. I was alcoholic, and I knew I couldn't keep doing that. I had this moment where I looked into a mirror, and what I saw was a person I didn't recognize. My eyes looked different. They were glassy. They were bloodshot. I had dark circles under my eyes. My cheeks were puffy. I couldn't recognize myself. And this question came to mind, and it was just What am I going to do with the time I have left on Earth? If life is precious, if our time here is limited, what will I do with the time I have left? And it was really a call to action. It still took me some time to figure out how to take the next steps, which for me meant I ended up finding the rooms of 12-step meetings. And it saved my life. And it was timing. It really was timing. I had known for years before that, that I had problems with alcohol and some drugs and just different behaviors associated with doing these things. I was never ready. So when the time was right and I had that moment of clarity as it's usually called, I'm just really glad I was able to grab onto it because I'm not sure if I would have gotten another chance if I kept going the way I was going. So in late 2009, I started to get sober and the journey began. I joke sometimes with friends that getting sober was like strapping a rocket to my back and just taking off because once I started on this path and I'm still on it now for more than 13 years it never ceases to amaze me just how many incredible things keep happening how many layers keep getting peeled back just the unfoldment the spiritual unfoldment the growth and development the opportunities to continue to learn more about myself and life and others and I'm so grateful at this point just Looking back, even talking about this every time, like I mentioned, I can give you a short version, a long version, but it never ceases to amaze me when I even start to try to put words around this that I'm still here. I'm still alive. There are so many people that are active in addictions. They don't get a chance to get to this level of living. They don't get a chance to save their own lives. It's almost cliche to say I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm lucky to be alive, but I never take that for granted.
0: Mm. So I heard you say that 12-step was part of that process for you, particularly, I imagine, in the beginning, and maybe still is, right? I'm curious how the yoga piece fit in. Did it fit in at the time? Did it come sometime later? Can you talk to us about how that has been instrumental on your path here?
1: Yes, absolutely. I started getting sober by going to 12-step meetings. I got a sponsor. I worked the steps and took commitments. I learned to be of service. I just started reading all the literature involved with that. And in the 11th step, it's the step known as the spiritual step. And it talks about prayer and meditation. And there's different ways to do this. There's different ways to pray. There's different ways to meditate. I had practiced yoga before I got sober. However, it was just it was stretching. It was just exercise. It was a class at the gym. Something really neat happened though. When I had about two months sober, I was in a yoga class in West Hollywood and I thought I was in the wrong room. The teacher was just talking about some things and I thought, what's going on here? I was feeling different. I was hearing things different. The practice felt different. And I realized, wait a second, is this yoga? Because this isn't what I've been doing. If this is yoga, I like this. This is amazing. And I realized pretty quickly that That was always the practice, what I was hearing and what I was feeling. I just wasn't awake to it. I wasn't aware. I was always caught in an act of addiction of some kind. But with two months of sobriety, I felt the practice. It was embodied. It was I was hearing the philosophy that the teacher was sharing and I was feeling my body in a different way. I was seeing the other students around me in a different way. I really felt like it wasn't just a class at the gym anymore. And that's when I realized on my mat, that's where I was connecting to my recovery. My recovery was becoming so much more than just going to a 12-step meeting or working a step with a sponsor or reading literature. It was this living thing. And the philosophy of yoga, the poses, the breath work, the concentration, the meditation, the connection to the divine, all of it, it started to play into not a separate part of my recovery, but a complementary, almost necessary, crucial essential part of what I was doing because it helped me actually live out my recovery in a physical way. It was something that really excited me well beyond going to uh, regular recovery type events or meetings. It was a place where I got a chance to really process things through the movements, through the breath work, through the meditation. I had a chance to really make sense of what was really happening for me in my recovery.
0: Wow. So it sounds like the yoga piece came in for you after you were sober for a couple of months, but I imagine it progressed from there. And I know eventually you became a teacher. So maybe talk to us about how that process unfolded for you, how you went from that realization to like, this is yoga and this is like part of my healing process to, I want more of this and ultimately became a yoga teacher.
1: Sure. In a similar way to when people in recovery go to, let's say, a 12-step meeting every day, or these days maybe refuge recovery or smart recovery, there's a lot of different groups out there. Most people will go to a meeting once a day, once a week. They have their own routine. For me, going to meetings every day early on in my recovery was very important to connect with other people were on a similar path, and we're all trying to figure out what we're doing with ourselves and, and life. And I took that mentality or, th- or that framework, and I thought, well, if going to a 12 step meeting every day is really helpful and yoga is helpful, then I'm going to take a yoga class every day as well. So early on in my recovery, around that two month, three month mark where I really started to feel that yoga was a lot more than just exercise or stretching, I started doing yoga every single day. And at the time, I was living. In Los Angeles, there was no shortage of amazing teachers to take classes with, so I started to practice every single day, and it wasn't that I was trying to achieve anything. I wasn't looking for the yoga trophy or practitioner of the year award, but I was meeting a lot of amazing teachers and a lot of amazing students, and a teacher around this time, she sort of took me under her wing. She noticed that I was really getting into yoga in her classes, and she would teach me some different poses and different things after class. And one day she said to me, you're going to be a teacher one day. And I just thought it was the weirdest thing. I didn't, I'm not sure why. It just sounded off. It sounded different, but I took it in. And what happened was when I had about nine months of sobriety, I was talking to an old timer. It's a, a name that we call people who have a lot of time sober. It's a term of endearment. So I you're an old right? timer now,
0: right? <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm not sure how many years we need to have to, sober to be an old timer. <laughs> I guess I'm getting there, almost uh-huh. uh, 14 years sober. Yeah. So he said to me, he goes, What do you do? And I said, What do you mean? He goes, For work. And I said, Well, I'm not doing anything. I've just been trying to just get sober and just stay sober and just I have lots going on, you know? And he said, How much time do you got? Sober. And I said, nine months. He goes, get a job. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's time for you to do something, like start living your life now. And I said, but I don't know what I want to do. He said, what do you like? And it was just this another moment of clarity where I hadn't stopped to ask myself after so many years of drinking and just living a whole different life. I couldn't remember the last time I actually stopped and asked myself, what do I want to do with my life? What do I like? And it really was this moment where he just simply said, what do you like? And I remember what that teacher said. She said, you're going to be a yoga teacher one day. Somehow, everything came together. I said, I, I like yoga. He said, do that. And I've been doing that ever since. It's been over a dozen years. So it really wasn't my choice to teach yoga. Someone saw something in me that I didn't, wasn't yet able to see within myself. And then another person came along as if I couldn't get the hit the first time. I had a second right. chance where somebody said, do that. And it was just incredible because I, like I said, I, it was never my plan to be a yoga teacher. It was just there. And just like getting sober, I grabbed it while it was there. And I'm really grateful that that opportunity came because that's one of the gifts of recovery is you can do anything you want. You can start your entire life over freedom. There's no limits. That's been my experience. So becoming a teacher was sort of a fluke, I guess, if you look at it that way, or it was divinely inspired or somewhere in between.
0: Yeah, that is so sweet to hear. And I I just stumbled upon the fact that this teacher of yours who mentioned to you encouraged that first moment in you to become a teacher someday is someone that I actually know such a small world moment. So I love like having that Little connection piece in my mind too. And I often think that it's the way, like I never expected to be a yoga teacher. I have an MBA, you know, and I had a corporate career before I became a yoga teacher and then started doing the yoga therapy piece. So someone does see something in you often and our stories certainly are very different. And yet it's a common thing that I hear from folks and can relate to myself as well about that path of becoming a yoga teacher. So. Let's kind of progress the conversation a little bit so that you can share more towards the work that you do today where you're, you're specifically bringing yoga and the teachings of yoga and other traditions to folks who are struggling with addiction or are in recovery. How did that piece come alive for you? How were you brought to that really specific work? Was it just a natural progression?
1: Almost like the rest of my story so far, the things we already talked about, it was the next right thing. I'm really glad that I didn't try to do any of this stuff myself because I think I probably would have messed it up. I'm really grateful that a lot of this stuff just started to happen as it happened. Now, don't get me wrong. I took a lot of action. I did what needed to be done. I was making phone calls or sending an email, but for the most part, a lot of this stuff was just getting out of the way. So what happened was how becoming a teacher... And then specifically starting to teach yoga with people in recovery, that was the next piece of the puzzle where I was teaching yoga, but I was teaching in gyms and studios and all kinds of different classes for different types of people. But there was something within me where I learned in recovery that being of service is a big part of staying sober, being of service. And then when I was studying in my first yoga teacher training, what really stood out to me, a lot of things did, but the idea of seva or selfless service and karma yoga. And what I really started to hone in on was what am I gonna specifically bring as a teacher to my community? Am I just going to teach yoga at the gym or studio or am I supposed to bring something specific, something personal, experiential to what I'm doing? And it didn't take long for me to figure out my purpose, my intention with teaching yoga was to bring the healing benefits of yoga and meditation to people in places that can't get to it and don't know about it, specifically people in active addiction and early recovery who really need these things because they were so integral to my personal recovery that that was where I wanted to go with what I was doing with being a teacher. So I started reaching out to all the different treatment centers in the area, sober living houses, anywhere where I can think of any place that would allow me to come do this And nobody wanted to hire me. I couldn't get one person to return my calls or my emails. So I was a little discouraged, but not too discouraged, because my next thought was, it's like that uh, movie, If You Build It, They Will Come, the Kevin Costner, uh, uh, Field of Dreams, the baseball movie, where he kept hearing that message, If You Build It, They Will Come. So that was kind of like what the idea I had was, you know what, if I can't get a job, I'll create my own job. And so I found a church in the community where I was living in Hollywood area. And I knew they were friendly to 12-step groups. There were a lot of meetings there around the week. And I asked the pastor one day, I said, can I do a 12-step yoga class here? He said, what's that? I said, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And he said, sure. He said, you can have Tuesday night. There's a spot open and the rent is 25 a week. I said, that's fine. Let's do it. And so I just started to tell people in recovery in my community, there's going to be a free class. It's going to be for people in recovery. I'm going to teach yoga and we're going to get together. And that's how it started. And I taught that class for about three years every week. And in that time frame, I really started to figure out what worked. I saw it working. I can't make this stuff up. I saw it. People were finding relief. Not from me. It wasn't so much as a lot of us know who are teaching. It's not so much the teacher. It's what we co-create together. That was a sacred, safe space for people to heal, for people to transform, for people to find recovery, and I was so blessed that I had the opportunity to help facilitate, to help create that space. So that was where I found my voice as a teacher in that church room with whoever wanted to come for fun and for free. We took donations just to cover the rent. I didn't take a salary because I was trying to just be of service. And then during that time frame, there was someone who came young woman. She was new to the class. And after class, she said, you should take this class where I work. We need a yoga teacher. And she told me where she worked. And long story short, I've been working there for uh, more than 10 years now. So this is the work that I've been doing is specifically teaching yoga to people in treatment. And it's been very rewarding. It's been in treatment centers, different sober living houses, and other community things that I've created, like the first group, the 12-step yoga. I've done that a couple other times in some different cities just to offer something on the side for people. and, And then my work took me in some other directions where I started recording meditations and audio courses. And it just... This thing keeps rolling. It's like a train that just won't stop. And it's just incredible just to be part of it. Just what we get to do as teachers, it's really incredible. I don't know how many of us actually sign up for this or, or expect some of the things that happened, but surely didn't expect to be at the same treatment center for more than 10 years. You can imagine thousands and thousands and thousands of people I've seen in detox and go through early sobriety. And I've seen how meditation and breath work and, and yoga, how it helps them. It's just been incredible.
0: mm. And now you've got a new book coming out. So do you want to share a little bit about that with our listeners too? And then maybe I'd love to just kind of hear you offer any type of guidance to those who might be struggling right now with addiction.
1: Sure. The book was based on an audio course that I recorded a few years back. It was created for the meditation and mindfulness app Insight Timer. It was a 30-day course. and I noticed that a lot of people were getting a lot of benefit from it. And one day I thought that maybe this could be turned into a book. It was 30 audio lessons. And I thought, well, why don't we just turn these into 30 chapters? We'll do a book. And I wrote up a book proposal. And I I know this is going to sound a lot easier than it was because I know, you know, it's, oh, you just, you write a proposal, you get an agent, you get a book deal, no problem. The
0: proposal Um, part even sounds hard to me, by the way.
1: Yeah, the proposal was, it took quite a few months to write that, to figure out how to write it, to edit that, but basically it was putting together a book proposal and then finding an agent that could present the proposal to a publisher and that's what happened. I found an agent who was excited about the project and she found a publisher who was excited and so I signed a contract to write a book based on this work that i've been doing so the the book is based on the course but here's what happened the editor fortunately it was a great great suggestion and i'm so glad she she asked she took a look at the proposal and she was familiar with the source material the audio course and she said can you add more yoga philosophy and this is what i've been studying and reading and teaching for so many years i said sure and so what happened was the book goes so much deeper into the concepts and the ideas that were presented in the original course the audio course the book takes it so much further and in the book i add exercises and journal prompts and physical poses and mantras and meditations and it's so comprehensive that it'll be out next year 2024 and in addition to that, when I finished the book, I recorded a few more courses for Insight Timer. I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing these days, which is a really nice feeling just to be living. We get to live our purpose in recovery in, in the world of yoga as well. We're not supposed to find someone else's dharma or truth. We're supposed to find our own truth. We're supposed to live our truth. And so it, it really feels like things are in alignment when I'm doing the things that we've talked about so far. For me, was get sober, go help people, go be a teacher, and now share what you've learned, and then doing, you know, working on sharing more. Whether it's writing some articles or recording interviews, whatever it takes, I guess. To lately, my work is now including what came to me recently in a meditation was trying to remove the stigma from addiction in order to save lives. I didn't know anyone sober when I got sober, and so I felt really embarrassed getting sober. I didn't want to tell anyone. I felt like a loser. I felt like I would messed up. I was broken. I, I was beyond redemption. I just felt like depressed and lonely, and I didn't have any answers, really. I didn't really have a solution. I just somehow figured out how to get to a 12-step meeting. And a lot of that came from this idea that there was shame there. There was a stigma there. I don't want to be called an alcoholic or an addict, or I don't want someone to know I'm in recovery. And who's going to hire me for a job? You know, I had all these ideas in my head that it was a bad thing. It's a wrong thing. And through the work that I've done in my personal and professional life now, it's a disease. It's a disease. We wouldn't tell someone with cancer that they're beyond redemption or they did something wrong or they're bad. So. That's one of the reasons that I was really working toward getting this book out there, and also putting myself out there as an activist. That's a, a newer term that's come up that I I feel seems to work to let people know that it's okay. If you have a problem, then you ask for help. That this is leading into your other question: How would I offer guidance to anyone who is suffering from addiction? Is first to tell them it's okay. Ask for help. We can help you. Someone can help you. Call a friend. Get to a meeting. Go to your local church, your temple. If you go to a religious service, talk to the pastor. There's online forums. Just know that it's not your fault. Most importantly, let's try to get you healthy. Let's get you somewhere safe. Let's work on this together. Recovery is a we thing. It's not an I thing. I didn't get myself sober. I didn't become a yoga teacher by myself. And I would never want anyone to think that they're on their own trying to figure this stuff out. So that's the guidance I would offer or suggest to anyone is is just reach out, ask someone, go online, get on social media. Anyone who is sober, who's worked through their own recovery, I'm sure would be more than happy to spend a few minutes to talk with you, to message with you, to help you. This is the whole idea of getting sober is to turn around and help the next person.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. And thanks for all you're doing out there. And I can truly tell by just how you share the story that this is your calling. And this is exactly what you were meant to do in this life, it sounds like. And your addiction actually led you to your dharma. And that seems pretty clear to me.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. The thing I thought was the worst thing about me ended up turning into the catalyst. It became my purpose.
0: Yeah. So, I'd love to ask the final question that I always ask on the podcast, and that has to do with your own personal practice. So, we put such an emphasis on that in the training program that we run, and really think that it's the piece that comes first like having your own practice is going to set you up to be a better teacher, to be a yoga therapist. And I imagine that based on the work that you do, this is an important part of your life as well. So I'd love to hear about your personal yoga practice and what that looks like on a daily basis, if it's multifaceted. Any insights that you want to share with others would be greatly appreciated. Oh,
1: great. I do have a daily practice. Over the years, though, the physical, the poses, the asanas are not so much a part of it. I'm not sure if we're supposed to say that. especially.
0: Oh, if there are, yeah. Uh, I, students I think that's there, or... great to hear, actually, because <laughs> there's so much emphasis on it already out there, right?
1: Yeah, that's, and that's how I started. I got into the physical part of the practice, the arm balances, the uh, inversions. You know, I was really going after handstand and, and all this power yoga. And and it was a lot of ego and pride involved in that for me. And, And over the years, my practice has definitely shifted. So I don't physically do a vinyasa flow practice every day anymore, but my daily practice is more spiritual these days, but I still consider it my sadhana, my yoga practice. So each morning, I I wake up, I do my personal prayers and meditation, and I do reading. There's a spiritual book that I'm working with that I read a daily reflection every morning, and it sets the tone for the day. In the afternoon, after I've already taught a few classes, and I've been out in the world, and I've been through emails and text messages and phone calls and traffic, and in the afternoon, I need a chance to also go back to my practice to sort of let go of the morning. So that's journaling. It's part of my practice every day. I write in a journal. I just write whatever comes up just to kind of clear out my head. I also do some reading, meditation, prayer, and I go outside for a walk. I live in an area where near some mountains, and it's nice to be out in nature. It really just brings me back to my center. And then I'm able to go and have the rest of my afternoon and evening to live it in a peaceful way, to spend time with the people I care about the most in a peaceful way. They're not dealing with the stress that I may carry with me from the entire day's worth of work. And and then at night before I go to bed, I, I meditate again. I do a gratitude list and I go through my day chronologically with gratitude. Whatever it was, even if it was something that seemed negative at the time, I also find a way to have gratitude for it because it's probably going to give me a chance to learn something that I need to learn about either an emotion, a feeling, an expectation, an attachment. So that's the last thing I do every night, laying in bed is gratitude list. And the very last thing, i it's been the same for many years now. I just send out gratitude for one more day, one more day sober.
0: That's so lovely. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm delighted that we had a chance to meet here today in conversation and I'm excited for your forthcoming book and sharing that out to folks who might be interested, might benefit from your teachings and guidance there. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks, Michelle.
0: If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, visit us at innerpeaceyogatherapy.com.